Blackwood, a Gothheim tale, written by Clyde Davis. Narration and sound design by Alex Schiffer. Music by Josh Fisher. Episode 3, Dark Omens. Whatever activity was happening inside the candle and cask ceased upon the entry of the Inquisitor and his apprentice. Men, halfway between standing and sitting, remained frozen in their awkward configurations. Their eyes locked on the two men. Others huddled around tables, or standing beside the bar now, faced the entrance to the inn. Behind the counter stood the innkeeper. He was a scrawny, bird-like man. In one hand he held a mug, in the other a cleaning cloth. Blackwood peered around the room, taking in each element in a matter of moments. The walls were covered with large paintings of the surrounding areas. Some depicted twisted woodlands, others portrayed the woods which lay beyond the town boundary whilst others showed landscapes of bog-like pits filled with stricken trees. If these were the semblances of the area, then Westgrave truly was a solemn and miserable place. Situated between the paintings were animal trophies, a wide array of stags, their horns casting thorny shadows against the walls, looked down at the common room with lifeless black eyes. Mounted upon the shelves were taxidermies of birds and foxes, their skins and feathers beginning to take on a gray film of deterioration. At the center of the ceiling, a great wooden chandelier, no doubt carved from the trees of the local woods, hung from a thick chain, the countless candles upon it casting an inadequate light for the size of the room. Against the far wall, a wild hearth hosted a roaring fire, its dancing flames making up for what the chandelier failed to provide. Deep shadows gathered in the corners of the common room, where the light from the fire could not reach. All considered, between the paintings and the collection of dead animals, the candle and cask was a macabre inn. Blackwood undid his coat and walked across the common room, the eyes of the patrons, some seemed to be merchants, but mostly appeared to be local village folk, followed the Inquisitor's steps across the wooden floorboards. At the bar, he placed the letter bag at his feet and rested his hands palms down onto the countertop. He met the stares of those closest to him, their eyes jumping between his cold eyes and the mark of the citadel hanging from the beaded necklace. Fee came to stand beside him. For an awkward moment, all parties around the bar looked at each other with a tense apprehension. Everyone but the Inquisitor. He looked straight at the barman with an implacable stare that would make any man shiver. Unable to hold the Inquisitor's glare, 
the barman glanced quickly toward the other villagemen standing at the bar, perhaps hoping for some kind of moral support. As if his plea was diseased, his compatriots looked away or searched the bottom of their glasses for something that wasn't there. I hadn't noticed your absence, the barman managed. There was barely a stammer, but his voice wavered. Fee opened his mouth, and a faint smile curled into the edges of his lips. It was the kind of smile that preluded a polite, gentlemanly reply. But it was Blackwood who spoke, his voice hard and sharp as glass. Mr. Shaw, I presume? The innkeeper froze at the mention of his name, and with evident reluctance, he turned to face Blackwood again. The Inquisitor could feel the eyes of the other patrons upon him. From the corner of his eyes, he could see their faces turn toward him. Yes, I am he, the man managed. And who may you be, stranger? barked a voice from the rear of the common room. Blackwood glanced over his shoulders, his dark eyes, almost black in the flickering firelight, pinpointing the speaker with unerring accuracy. The man was easily the largest in the room, with broad shoulders, thick arms, and a jutting belly that looked more hard than soft. By the look of the men sitting at the table with him, the burly man had a strong pack of lackeys. The Inquisitor buried his hand into the pocket of his trousers and pulled out a simple black coin. He turned and watched as realization dawned on the face of the burly man and his henchmen. First, their eyes fell on the silver pendant that marked him as an agent of the Citadel. The color drew from their faces. The Inquisitor then watched as the black coin in the palm of his hand drew their attention. At the sight of it, a wildfire of fear sparked in their eyes, and a hushed gasp filled the room. The black coin was simple, a little larger than a regular coin, but it was the sigil pressed into its surface that caused the shock. Everyone's eyes were now fixed on the black token. Even Mr. Shaw leaned over the bar countertop to catch a glimpse of it. The coin was the true mark of an inquisitor. If the Inquisitors were shrouded in dark rumor and speculation, then the black coin of their order was something of legend. Blackwood presented the coin in his upturned palm, moving it from one side to the other, so that everyone can see it. I am Marcus Blackwood of the Citadel. This token here marks my station in authority. Does anyone here challenge my sigil? The room was silent. And with that single question, the Inquisitor crushed any challenger to his presence. The burly man sunk back into his chair, and his lackeys shied away like reprimanded dogs. Blackwood returned the coin to his trouser pocket and turned back to the bar. The uneasiness in the room was at the point of danger. The last thing Blackwood needed was resistance from the local people even if his presence as an Inquisitor sparked fear. He pointed at the bottle of whiskey on the counter, and then held up two fingers. We'll have two of that, he asked. The request was polite, but there was no softness in his voice. 
Whilst Mr. Shaw gathered two glasses from the back shelf, polished them with the cloth in his hand, and then made to pour the servings of whiskey, Blackwood began to speak. Or rather, he began to explain to Mr. Shaw and the small audience what was going to happen next, now that he was in Westgrave. The memory of the black coin still held them in his command, and they listened to his words. Let me address the state of affairs that have brought me to your village. My associate here, Mr. Fee, with whom you are familiar, has been observing the events in Westgrave and the condition of your daughter, Mary, under the authority of the Inquisition. At the mention of the last word, Mr. Shaw's hand trembled, and a spout of whiskey spilled over the rim of one of the glasses and onto the counter. Blackwood paused for a moment and allowed Mr. Shaw to steady his hand. My presence here has been deemed worthy by the declaration of Fela Santa Pecolum, and as such I exercise the rights of an inquisitor. Your daughter, Mary, has come under the influence of some force unexplainable in the realms of men. I am here to investigate malfeasance in the presence of the old ways. To act against me is to act against the citadel. To interfere is to stand against the will of the Silver Throne. Blackwood's voice filled every space in the hushed room, and the air stirred as if his words possessed some power in themselves. His eyes, as black as the charred wood in the fireplace, imposed the power of the Inquisition, and everyone in the room shrank before him. Until my investigation is done, the village of Westgrave is under my custody. No one is beyond suspicion. If the room was silent before, the blanket of quiet that pressed over it now was oppressive. A blank state of comprehension had come over Mr. Shaw as he tried to reconcile the presence of the Inquisitor with the fate of his daughter, who would be the focus of the Inquisitor's scrutiny. Fear mingled with worry and tears began to arise over the lips of his eyelids. No one else stirred. Even the fire burning in the hearth seemed to have lost its comforting warmth. The shadows at the far corners of the room deepened. Blackwood tapped his finger on the counter. For now, I would have those two whiskies, and my associate and I will retire to the table by the fire. We have many things to discuss, and wouldn't wish to be disturbed. Is that understood? Mr. Shaw pushed the glasses toward the Inquisitor and his apprentice, and managed a respectable reply. Of course, Master Blackwood. And in the meantime, I would like a room to be prepared for myself here, at the candle and cask. Very well, stammered Mr. Shaw. Blackwood gripped one of the glasses of whiskey and looked at the glow of the amber liquor. When the time comes to examine your daughter, Mr. Shaw, I expect to receive your full cooperation. Is that understood? The Inquisitor's voice was sharp and cold now. Mr. Shaw struggled against the turmoil of being a father. The fate of his daughter seemed doomed in every respect. 
an inquisition would not show mercy, and yet he hoped the inquisitor may, even if Mary was a helpless victim in all of this. Those touched by the old ways never came out of it unscathed, especially with an inquisitor's involvement. The instinct to protect his daughter was overwhelming. On the one hand, she would be taken by the old ways, and on the other, she would either be taken or punished by the Inquisition. Mary, his precious daughter, faced wolves at every turn. He met the stare of the Inquisitor, and did what any hopeless man would do. He played for time. Of course, he answered again. This time the innkeeper spoke without expression. The Inquisitor and his apprentice chose a table in front of the hearth, where the heat from the fire was comfortable, and the pool of light was rich, and held the shadows of the room at bay. They had dark things to discuss, and such matters were always better spoken of in the light. Blackwood sat back in his chair, and stretched his one leg out toward the fire. The warmth of the flames began to creep through the sole of his boot, and warm his foot. With his one hand, he held the glass of whiskey. By the time they sat down, the room had mostly emptied. The burly man and his companions made their leave quickly after Blackwood walked past their table, and so had others, most probably to spread the word of an inquisitor in Westgrave. By morning, Blackwood's presence would be known by all in the village. Mr. Shaw remained behind the bar. A veil of complete despair hung over his face. The poor light from the chandelier offered him one grace, hiding the silent tears running down his cheeks. I thought you didn't drink while on the road, the apprentice, Fee, asked gently. Blackwood looked into the flames and watched the shapes dance from side to side. The flickering light did little to touch his dark eyes. Puts the folks at ease to see one of us partaking in a ritual they are familiar with. It helps undo the shroud that follows Inquisitors wherever we go, the Inquisitor answered. Fee looked over his master's shoulder at Mr. Shaw and what remained of the late evening patronage and offered something of a laugh. I'm sure it's working. The laugh went unnoticed by the Inquisitor, his attention fixed on the fire. The shadows cast by the flames exaggerated the lines in Blackwood's face, deepening the furrows across his forehead and the crow's feet around his eyes. Creases that spoke of weathering and trials beyond imagination ran down his cheeks. The creases seemed so deep in the light one could mistake them for scars. Fee knew better, though. Once he had seen his master bare-chested, a sight rarer than the old ways. Fee liked to tell the other apprentices, and saw the myriad of scars that crisscrossed his chest and arms. Burn marks sprawled across his back, and some scars belied their age, still looking pink and only just healed. The thought of those wounds made Fee shiver. Despite the age of tales that lined the Inquisitor's face, his eyes still shone with a fervor. At last, 
Blackwood shifted his attention to his apprentice. The long journey from Gothheim had given him enough time to piece everything together from Fee's reports. All the pieces except for some, and he would know them before the night was through. Tell me about that girl, Fee. This Mary Shaw. Tell me about the night you spoke of in your last report. His eyes were almost black, the flames in the hearth flickering in their darkness like watery coals. Fee shifted in his seat, and Blackwood saw the boyish charm that once livened his apprentice's face fade away with his request. Soon there would be none of that boyhood wonder left. Soon there will only be stone there. Despite the warm glow of the fire, Fee's face seemed pale, as if the memory of that peculiar night caused him distress, and perhaps it did. The time would come when such occurrences would leave little effect on him. Blackwood knew this. Only a matter of time. The apprentice glanced over Blackwood's shoulder before taking a long sip of his whiskey. And then he began to tell his master about Mary Shaw. About that particular night. Well, as I mentioned in my report, the few days preceding that night had been extraordinarily quiet. I had seen the girl unconscious in her bed, and I had taken the time to speak to the village folk and walk along the tree line of the woods at the edge of Westgrave. From all accounts, Westgrave seemed untouched by any malevolence, the girl simply affected by an illness. As for the rumors of the lady in the wood, None of the village folk seemed to know what I was talking about, and the children would not speak to me. They appeared to be just that, rumors emerging out of local folklore, or the imagination of children. On the night of the incident I was sitting there, Fee pointed at a table across the room by the door. In considering all these elements, Westgrave was just another false trail. Fee paused and took another sip of whiskey. Trepidation filled his eyes, but he continued. As I mentioned in my letter, I made the decision to leave Westgrave, and with that as my resolution, I made my way to my room upstairs to prepare for my departure. That was when I saw... Mary Shaw, in the darkness of the passageway. The girl stood naked before the door to her room, her body beginning to take on the shape of a woman, the light from the candles in her room illuminating the curves and lines of her developing breasts. Startled by the silhouette of the girl, at the end of the hall, Fee stood frozen for a moment. You could feel the embarrassment heat his cheeks as he looked at her bare form, and his heart froze in the cold grasp of fright. There was something wrong. Whatever it was, it was hidden from sight, but he could sense it. His training at the Citadel focused on the heightening of the senses to pick up such things, and although he could not identify the unearthly aura which gnawed at him, he could feel it permeate from the girl at the end of the passage. Without a second thought, he moved to the side of the landing and pressed his body against the wall. 
From his hiding spot, Fee peered around the corner and looked at the girl. She had begun to move down the passage, her bare feet making no sound against the carpeted floor. The touch of light from her bedroom left her body, but in the darkness of the hall, her pale skin was clear to see. So were her ghostly eyes that looked out from her expressionless face. Those eyes, white and unnatural, seemed to look beyond the hallway, beyond the inn, and into a world that the living could not see. As Mary Shaw approached, Fee could feel the grip of fear tighten its fingers around his heart. The sense that something was terribly wrong grew stronger. It was abhorrent. It was malicious. A strange smell filled the passage ahead of Mary Shaw's approach. The smell of an open grave. It conjured thoughts of bone and curdled flesh, nightcrawlers and dank soil. Fee stifled his reflex to throw up and lifted his handkerchief to his nose. Mary seemed to glide past where he hid, as if she were being ushered by an unseen presence, his presence going unnoticed. The smell of rot deepened. Mary passed so close to where he was pressed against the wall that if he so wished, he could stretch out his arm and put his hand on her shoulder. Paralysis had him completely, though, and all he could do was watch the girl pass by him. As she did, Fee did not feel the presence of a young girl, but something more ancient and conniving. He watched as Mary made her way down the stairs to the common room. The screams from the patrons below, and what were bewildered outbursts from her father, broke the hold of fear over Fee. He scrambled down the stairs, following in the wake of the fetid stink, and watched as Mary moved to the center of the room with her arms stretched out to either side. Her long black hair fell to the small of her back, and it caught the light from the fire in the hearth. Patrons covered their noses in disgust. Women looked for solace in the arms of their men, and the men stared with an awful mixture of abashment appreciation and fear. Mary turned slowly, taking in each person with those lifeless marble-like eyes, as if she were acknowledging her court. Stretching beyond anatomical possibility, Mary's mouth opened wide, her jaw creaking beneath the strain, and the corners of her mouth splitting ever so slightly so that thin rivulets of blood began to run down either side of her chin. From the gaping maw of darkness, which was once the mouth of a child, a voice began to speak. Its words were old and smelt like dust and sounded like dry leaves scraping over roughened ground. The air thickened as the words crawled out of Mary's gaping mouth her white eyes glaring beyond the walls of the inn, faint tears creeping from the edges of her eyes. The passing of time stretched thin, each moment laborious agony. The voice that spoke through Mary filled the room, with a buffeting wind causing candles to flicker and fight for life, only to be gutted by the gust. The fire in the hearth gasped with one last breath before dying in a cough of white smoke. <laughs>
Through the windows and from beneath the doors, darkness spilled into the common room, filling the space with its inkiness. Only then did the voice, scraping like the scales of a shredding snake, begin to sound like some form of language. From the top of the stairs, Fee could hear it as clearly as if it were being whispered in his ear. Soon, the hideous crawl of the voice gave way to words from an ancient ilk, words from a language long thought extinct, and if not that, forgotten. Fee could not understand it, but he knew it for what it was, the language of the exterminated people, the fey tongued. He could feel its power coil around him, constricting at the base of his spine and at the top of his neck, commanding he stand at attention while such ancient words were spoken. Fee managed to grab onto the banister, or else he would have fallen down the stairs in that rigid stance. If his willpower was strong enough to look away from the girl, Fee was sure he would find the other patrons caught within the same grip of the commanding voice. But it wasn't. The girl held everyone within her whim. A deep enchantment had come over the candle and cask, and its ancient source could be felt, from the primeval words that weaved it into being, to the sense of loathing it held for the mortal folk it addressed. Fee could feel the threat behind each word. Dread settled over him, cleaning the sweat running down his back. After what seemed like an eternity, Mary's mouth closed, the mechanics of her jawbone clicking back into place, the thin lines of crimson blood trickling from the corners of her mouth turned her gentle face into a vampiric mask. She glided across the floorboards, the stink of earth and insects following behind her, those alabaster eyes still peering beyond the realms of the living. The doors to the inn creaked open, revealing the pitch black of the night beyond, and into it she went, without so much as a hesitation or a backward glance. As the darkness swallowed Mary, the unerring spell opposing the inn vanished as quickly as it had come. The smell faded too. Regathering his wits and summoning what courage still hid in his heart, the thought of his master a strong whip at the back of his mind, Fee raced down the stairs, almost tripping over his own feet. He hurried past the still stunned patrons and Mr. Shaw, in fast pursuit of Mary Shaw. Fear and cowardice barked from the halls of his heart, urging him to turn back, telling him what he had witnessed was enough to summon his master to the village. But there was something else gnashing its teeth within him. The desire. No, the need. No, it was his duty that burned inside his chest like a forest ablaze. It was the unrelenting hunting instinct of an inquisitor that pushed him forward. And in that realization, he found himself closer to his master. Into the night, he followed the girl. Up the street, she walked with a swift grace, her bare feet unhindered by the gravel road. In the poor light, it seemed like they barely touched the ground. Overhead, a darkening cover of clouds began to creep over the silver disk of the moon, and the air tightened with cold. As he moved through the shadows in pursuit, Fee could see the white mist of his breath before his face. 
From the outskirts of the village, faint tendrils of fog began to arise from the ground, spreading and searching. The smell of rot lingered where the girl had been, and with it, there remained an aura of dread. Fee wondered if what he smelt was the scent of fear itself. He moved from house to house, concealing himself in the alleys between the buildings. Ahead through the gathering fog and failing moonlight, the ominous walls of the woods loomed. The boffs twisted and cruel in the darkness. Mary Shaw moved toward the woods, as if the gnarled branches offered her an invitation to that shrouded place. From where he hid, Fee could hear the girl's murmurings. The words of the fey tongue still came from her mouth. But unlike the deathly voice that filled the common room, this was Mary's own, and she sang, as if reciting some bygone lullaby. It held a sorrow that struck Fee deeply, a sadness so old it had soured with anger and desperation. The girl continued up the street, leaving the houses on either side behind. By now, those who were left in the inn came stumbling out onto the street with bewildered looks upon their faces, each looking in a different direction in search of Mary. Fee ignored their confused cries and crept closer to the girl, wading deeper into the terrifying aura which surrounded her. He steeled his heart against it, reciting the teachings of the citadel over and over again to ward off the fear. The fog continued to gather at an unnatural speed, flooding in from the tree line and smothering the village streets. A particularly thick bank rolled over the woods right before Mary, the white mass swallowing her entirely. Fee lost sight of her, except for the occasional womanly shadow that shifted with the slightest movement. He could only point to the place the girl now stood by the sound of her voice singing that dreadful song. Bracing himself, he stole into the thick bank. His one hand stretched out before him. He followed the ebb and flow of the girl's voice, but something in it was changing. The pace of the lullaby was slowing down. Mary's voice was beginning to labor, the words drawing out into long breathless syllables. Fee paused to listen. Somewhere ahead of him, the singing faltered, and then, nothing. Silence permeated the fog. Not one sound could be heard. Fee didn't dare move. He could feel his ears straining to pick up any sound, any indication of movement. But it was as if the fog had plugged his ears. Cold sweat broke out across his brow and he could feel his shirt cling to his lower back. Cautiously, he took a step forward. The sole of his shoe crunched against the coarse road beneath. Ahead, as if in reaction to the sound of his footfall, the fog stirred. At first, it swirled in on itself, revealing nothing. But then it parted ever so slightly. There, standing silently in the shroud of white, was Mary Shaw, facing directly at him, those enchanted eyes staring into oblivion. The rivulets of blood had congealed along the sides of her chin. Fee stood his ground and looked into her colorless eyes, 
hoping to find something within them. The sense of dread was almost unbearable now, and the smell of an open grave lingered as heavily as the fog. It took all of Fee's willpower not to turn and run before such terror. He held his ground and looked on at Mary Shaw. But something was off. The silhouette of the girl was oddly misshapen. Behind her left shoulder, a strange shadow lurked in the curling fog. It petrified Fee, and although every instinct told him not to shift his stare from the girl's white eyes, he felt his eyes slowly turn toward the strange shape lurking behind Mary Shaw. As his eyes settled upon the unclear apparition, the fog parted like a curtain, revealing the hideous face of a woman, a woman who seemed ancient in years. Her visage caved and twisted like a demonic runestone, filled with hatred and the shadow of death. Deep within her bottomless eyes, Fee could feel the hag's wish of doom for his soul. From her peeling lips, a slime-covered tongue slowly protruded like a languorous slug and crept from one side of her bottom lip to the other, leaving a thick trail of spit behind. Fine wisps of gray hair, mere remnants of what once covered the hag's head, trailed over her gnarled skin. Fee noticed her crooked fingers, tipped with black nails, creeping over the girl's bare shoulders. The hag looked almost childlike, skulking behind Mary Shaw in the fog. With that strange grin on her face, revealing teeth as wretched and soiled as her soul, Fee took a step backwards, and the hag left off a shrill laugh, but her eyes burned with evil, twisting the childlike smile into an insidious sneer. The shrill laugh continued, rolling out of the ancient woman's mouth like crumbling stone and scuttling spiders grew louder until Fee was forced to raise his hands to his ears in a futile attempt to block the woman's foul jubilation. The laughter continued, and from behind those high-pitched cries of malicious ecstasy, the same voice from the common room came crawling out, like rattling leaves through winter branches. The horrible voice hissed. The breath of it was foul and the smell of decay and disturbed earth was suffocating. It smelt like the dens of the Resurrectionists. The three words drove a stake cold as ice deep into Fee's heart, and the hag was overcome with another fit of laughter. Her eyes flashed with the pleasure of his fear. The hag hissed again, her crooked fingers strengthening their grip around Mary Shaw's shoulders. Fee took a step backward, and the hag's eyes glared at him one last time. The pleasure from those abyssal orbs was gone. The laughter ceased. The childish expression on her hideous face vanished into the cruel lines that creased her face. A voice soft but cruel whispered in his ear from over his shoulder. Run! The word startled Fee and he turned on his heels and ran back down the road, his boots scrapping against the gravel and stones. Behind him, he could still hear the voice of the witch whisper in his ear. In the deep caverns of his mind, he could feel the witch's laugh roll over itself, 
covering his thoughts with its oiliness. He sprinted down the street, leaving Mary Shaw behind in the fog, fleeing from the hag that hid beneath her shoulder. The fog still coiled around his feet when... I regained sight of the inn and the village folk. I had seen the Witch of the Woods, and her face will never leave me. I left the girl behind too, and fled in fear. I am not proud of my actions, but there was nothing else I could do. The witch filled me with terror, and I could not withstand it. Blackwood looked at his apprentice's face in the firelight. It was drawn and deep shadows had come to settle in the grooves of his cheeks. In the firelight, he seemed older, much older. Blackwood suspected the witch had taken something from him. Perhaps a few years of his life, perhaps more. But the witch had helped herself to his lifeblood. The Inquisitor pushed his glass of whiskey across the table and offered it to his apprentice with a gently nod. You did what you could, and saw what you did. And it was enough, Blackwood said, with a touch of comfort in his hard voice. Here we sit. The presence of a witch uncovered. Fee finished his glass of whiskey and took the one handed to him by his master. Fela ad senta per colum, he recited in a whisper barely audible to either himself or his master. Why would she say that to me? It, Blackwood corrected sternly. It was taunting you. During the war years, in the chaos thereafter, the magic kind would use the words that persecuted their people as a mantra against the Inquisition, like a rallying war chant. The Inquisitor looked deep into the flames burning in the hearth, his eyes distant with memory. A challenge? V asked. The Inquisitor met his stare and nodded. I believe so. Blackwood shifted his weight in his chair and folded his legs. Now, tell me what the girl said in the common room. Fee sat forward in his chair, leaning his elbows on the table. He glanced over his master's shoulder again to make sure no one who remained in the common room was eavesdropping. I can't recall. He paused. Forgive me, Master Blackwood. I have tried to remember the words, but I cannot. It's strange. If I think of that voice, I can hear the words of that ancient tongue echo in my mind. But as soon as I try to mutter them, or truly recall them beyond their sound in my memory, they disappear like dust in the wind. It is the oddest thing. Perhaps fear still bars entry to those memories. Perhaps in time. Blackwood rolled his tongue over his teeth as he contemplated the words of his apprentice. Interesting, he mused. What is? I don't think it's fear that prevents you from remembering, although I do not doubt it still resides within your heart. It may be that a spell has been cast upon you to protect the witch in some way. I'm sure if I am to ask anyone who was in the inn that night, I would be met with the same answer as yours. Even those of the old ways were wary of the power their ancient tongue held, and I doubt this witch, 
if that is what is truly behind what is happening in Westgrave, would risk letting some village folk recite the words it spoke. Not even the oldest fay would allow a mortal to speak such words for fear of them muttering something incorrectly. Who knows what horrors a misspoken utterance could summon. No, it is not your fault you cannot remember what was said. Fee could feel the Inquisitor's eyes search him for any detail that he may have forgotten to tell. Yet the Inquisitor asked no more questions about the girl, or the witch thing for that matter. He simply sat for a series of long moments, contemplating everything his apprentice had related to him. In the hearth, a piece of wood let off a loud crack, sending a shower of sparks up into the darkness of the room before collapsing in on itself, spawning another series of flames. Finally, the Inquisitor broke his silence. The question was there in his voice, but it was never asked. You mentioned other developments. Fee leaned back in his chair, relief filling his face, and something of the boyish charm returning to his expression. He was happy to be off the topic of the witch thing. Yes, there have been several, he agreed. He took a sip of whiskey before saying more. Mary, or Miss Shaw, rather, hasn't moved since that night. Not one limb stirred from the slumber that has taken her. She was found the following morning, lying on the ground where I believe I saw her standing in the company of that creature. Nevertheless, she had resided in the inn ever since. But what is strange is the weather. The fog has not moved on since the night. Neither has the rain. It is as if they and Miss Shaw are connected. Blackwood thought about this as his apprentice spoke. The weather was the dominion of the magic kind. It always had been. Even stranger still, a man came into Westgrave not two days ago. A traveler from the Helendal, making his way to Stone Harbor. Much like others heading west along the great coastal road. He was a merchant, so he told us, moving from town to town as he made his way in time for his vessel, which was set for departure in the coming days. But for my judgment, I put the man closer to a snake oil salesman than a merchant. I maintained my distance from the man when he arrived in Westgrave, allowing the nervous village folk to consume most of his time. You see, they were so desperate to hear of broader events, searching, I suppose, for some hope that their situation was not entirely hopeless, or to find some comfort at least that Miss Shaw's fate was not completely doomed. Upon hearing about Miss Shaw's condition, this medicine man proclaimed to have come across cases along his winding route of the coastal road. In fact, he claimed that the last few villages had all been stricken by the same odd occurrence, except that all the girls affected by the ailment were now missing. He named the villages Heswind, Gorin, and Kem, all three no more than a day's ride from Westgrave. In each case, the snake oil salesman claimed there had been a girl, just coming of age, who had allegedly been struck by an odd sleeping sickness, interrupted by bouts of sleepwalking. He went on to air his sympathies for those towns, stating if only he had been there earlier to sell his tonics, then perhaps the missing girls would still be safe in their homes. You can only imagine the business the man made off the back of that. 
he barely hesitated to exploit the situation of the Shaws to the people of Westgrave. He nearly sold his entire cache of tonics, and now I can only assume every child in Westgrave has been given a tablespoon of perfumed oils. The hilarity of it. Stranger in the night to Harold the Thorn. Blackward murmured. Fee frowned. The ashen look returned to his face. A peddler's dark omens to awaken the spear, Blackwood whispered. Surely you can't believe any of this has to do anything with that old poem. Fee protested, his voice filled with incredulity. The texts of the Inquisition do not contain poems of no importance, Fee, he said sternly. The Inquisitor's face was expressionless, but his eyes bore the ferocity that set him apart as a wolf amongst men. His voice was harsh, and the rebuke set his young apprentice aback. You fear the Fae and their ilk because you know they exist, yet you question the writings that speak of them. Such logic will not see you through the rites. The Inquisitor's words made Fee nervous. I do not question the texts. I just struggle to believe that these events can possibly link to a poem of such dark prophecy. The apprentice defended. Blackwood leaned forward, the shadows of the fires causing mischief among those weathered lines on his face. How many thousands were lost in the first years of the war because we simply could not bring ourselves to accept the impossible? How many innocents did we lose because we would not acknowledge the simple origins of unbelievable power? The Fae are otherworldly. Their schemes are not brought to fruition by grand plots. They deal in threads weaving them slowly together until the time is right to strike. No fee. Annihilation is sown from the humblest seeds. Do not underestimate what small turn of events can bring about prophecy. Fee nodded in acquiescence. He completed the poem to acknowledge the Inquisitor's point. And a messenger to mark the time of the claw. Blackwood could not help but think of the fallen priest, the Scarlin, at the station in Gothheim. A messenger to mark the time. He pushed the thought away and turned back his attention to the matters at hand. The night is growing old, and I would like to see Miss Shaw before retiring. About these other three villages. I assume you've spent the last few days productively and investigated the snake oil salesman claims. I have. And despite the man's devious sales techniques... What he said of Heswin, Gorn, and Kem is true. A girl has gone missing from each village. Let me just say that the people of those places weren't open to a stranger's prying questions, but I managed to acquire the details of each disappearance. There are slight differences between each girl, but the gists is the same. Each girl was taken by a sleeping sickness, as the sailmen would diagnose it and each one displayed strange bouts of behavior before disappearing. Blackwood nodded as he listened to Fee speak. The final piece of the case of Mary Shaw were beginning to fall into place in his mind. An evident pattern could be accounted for in the area. His apprentice had declared the presence of the Fae, and even claimed to have seen one. He had even heard the ancient tongue of the old ways. The only thing remaining was for an Inquisitor to get to work and uncover the truth of what was happening in Westgrave. You've done well, Fee, 
the Inquisitor said plainly. I couldn't have asked for a more thorough investigation to be done on my behalf. He pushed his chair back, its wooden legs scratching against the floorboards, and stood to face the fire one last time. But now it's time to pay Miss Shaw a visit. This has been Blackwood, a Gothheim tale, adapted for audio from the works of Clyde Davis. You can find the print version of this story on paperback through Amazon. Continue supporting Clyde by subscribing to Narrative on Substack, where you can find new stories from him weekly. This podcast is narrated and sound designed by Alex Schiffer, with intro and outro music by Josh Fisher. Album art is done by Waldo Buckner, who you can find on Instagram. Thank you for listening, and join us next time for more Blackwood.